Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Well, it is a delight to have you with us this morning, and we begin a new series this morning, and so just let me give you a bit of a brief introduction before we get started. Um, and when you came in, you should have picked up the little study guide that says, what are we doing here? And if you didn't get that, you're going to want to pick that up on the way out so you can kind of follow along. There's a place for notes in there. There's a place to actually know where we'll be speaking from and teaching from the following Sunday. You can always take a look at the passage that's coming next. And I really want to encourage you, this, uh, we do this with, this, with the uh, quiet time resource that we gave out last week as well, to read the passage in advance of coming to church on that Sunday. Just open up your study guide, say, oh, that's where they'll be preaching from, and uh, just take a quick moment and read through it maybe the night before. And uh, that's just a great way to start to feed your soul with the Word before we actually open it up together, and I'm sure God would help you see additional insights there as well. I wanted to take a moment and talk about why we're working through uh, the book of Acts over the course of this year. We'll take the first half um, up to the summer, then we'll take a break for the summer, and we'll take the last half coming into the end of 2023. I know that seems like a long way away, but you know how fast it goes now. And part of the reason for that is um, at this stage in, in the ministry and life of the church, I begin to think as people have come, we often go to church for what we expect to get from it. In fact, just let me ask a question real quickly, not to embarrass anybody. How many of you have started attending fellowship within the last two years? Can I see your hands? Just put your hands up, within the last two years. So that's a lot of you, okay? And a lot of you, okay? So, and we are glad you're here, right? That's part of why I wanted to do a, a study in the book of Acts, Because we often come to church for what we should receive from it. Either that's the teaching of the Word, or maybe a particular ministry, a children's ministry, or the women's ministry, or the worship. We come for what we can receive. And I understand that's the starting point. But what I begin to recognize is at this time in our world's history, we need to be thinking about not simply what we get from church, but what God is asking us to do with this window of time. And nothing quite does that like the book of Acts. Um, it, it prepares us for what God wants us to do or why we are here. And it's important because if I were to ask you, if I were to ask you directions and to a particular location, let's say in Deptford, and I don't know where I'm going and my phone is dead, so I, I just need to, you actually to tell me, okay, if you can remember back that far, right? I need you to tell me. We would have to start at the same location, a common point of location, or else um, I wouldn't know where I was going and your directions would take me someplace else. We have to start with a common, desti- a common first point, You'd have to say, Phil, you've got to turn at the Wawa. And I'd say, which one of the 850? Okay. See, you'd have to say the Wawa that's in Mantua, that's at the corner of Route 45. You'd have to give me the same starting point. And just for a moment, imagine this. We have a church full of people, many of whom have only been here for a few years, and we have to make sure we're at the same starting point. Or else, the church doesn't do what it's supposed to do. It becomes this cool gathering place for people who have like interest. And what you're about to find out 
is that was never God's intention for the church. It wasn't about just gathering people who had like interest. Okay? It wasn't about gathering people who were all the same. It, it, it had a completely different intention. So that's why we're in the book of Acts, and we're going to move through it together. And this morning, you're going to get a chance to see one of the first steps you're going to have to take in being a part of the church. So with that in mind, I'm in Acts chapter 1. Will you stand with me for the reading of the word? Acts chapter 1. Now pick up the reading there at the first verse, and I'm going to read down for about 10 or 12 verses here. Paul, uh, Luke writing says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, the first book being the Gospel of Luke, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went, he went, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. May God bless his words. You may be seated. I just want you to imagine what it must have been like. Let's imagine momentarily that you were a disciple. um, You were following Christ. He separated you away from the crowds for the last five to six months. He tells you, listen, I'm going to go back to Jerusalem. He keeps saying this thing over and over again. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And you're saying, that's not like what I expect my, my Lord, my King to do. He's saying this over and over again. And then you go back to Jerusalem. You come into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Everybody's cheering. You're thinking, this is it. The kingdom's going to be restored. But Jesus keeps talking like that to you. There's places where he's sad, like you're having dinner and he just suddenly goes sad and when you, with a pathos, and when you engage with him, just momentarily imagine he speaks again of his death. All of a sudden, he dies and your world is shattered. Three days later, he is risen from the dead and your world is like you're on the top of the world again. And then for 40 days, he's kind of there and he's gone. He's, he shows up. He has breakfast with you at the Sea of Galilee. And then he moves on. He's, he shows up in a room, walking, appearing, even though all the doors are locked. You, you suddenly say, this is it, this is it. And it would be, would it be any wonder that you would say, uh, is it time to restore the kingdom? Okay. And then while you, you're asking that question, he says, uh, I'm not going to tell you that time now. So you're thinking, okay, maybe next week. Maybe next month, maybe next year. And all of a sudden, he rises up in the clouds and he's gone. There is one thought, I think, that would be with you. And he gives us three great realizations, not only for the early disciples, but for all of us. And here is the thought. 
We were left behind. We were left behind. We were left behind. Like, that's why angels have to show up. These guys are staring in heaven, gawking, saying, what's next? What are we supposed to do? Like, he kept telling us about the kingdom. He kept telling us we were supposed to evangelize. He kept telling us these things. But now he's not here. What are we supposed to do? Now, you think you'd be confused. Imagine how confused the angels would be, okay? Like, they'd be saying, we were sent to tell them to go do the work. Like, what is with these people? Like, why did God choose these people, okay? Like, get somebody who's a little competent. These guys don't even know what they're supposed to do. Day one. There are three great realizations in this chapter. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, these are just three great realizations for all of us as Christians, For just a moment, think that our life kind of is always focusing on what's next. And you're probably thinking about what's coming next. You might be thinking about what's coming for dinner this afternoon or what's going to happen Monday night or next weekend. Like, you and I are thinking about what's next. And our world is trained to think about what's next as opposed to trained to say, wait a minute, I was left behind. What am I supposed to do? And that's what the disciples had to realize. And here's the three great realizations. We were left behind with a very clear message. We were left behind with a very powerful helper. And we were left behind with a very strategic task. A clear message, a powerful helper, and a strategic task. When Jesus left the disciples behind, he had already given them the clear message. He told them the powerful helper was coming. And he gave them a very strategic task to do. And I, you're going to see in a moment how strategic it was and how it works for us even today. So let's talk about that briefly. Here we go. Here's the f- very clear message. Jesus is the good news. That's it. Jesus is the good news. That phrase shows up at the birth of Jesus, by the way. So let me explain it a little bit before I jump back into Acts chapter 1 and, and show you how that fits. It's a very clear message. Jesus is the good news. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. It's just Jesus is the good news. When we start to engage a lot of other stuff around it, we forget that this is the very clear message that we were left behind to share. In fact, let me show you where it first occurs. We're not that far removed from the Christmas story. It's, I don't know, January 15th or something. But here it is. You may remember, it goes like this. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Here comes your phrase. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Sometimes when I read that, I still hear Linus in Charlie Brown Christmas saying it, okay? I don't know if you hear that rhythm in my head. That's what I hear, okay? So, but here's the thing I want you to see. This is the good news. Good news for all people, a Savior, Christ the Lord. That's it. This is such a simple message. It's good news for all people, a Savior, Christ the Lord. Now, let me show you something you may not have known about good news. And this is great, because I'm going to teach you three Greek words this morning, and you already know two of them. Actually, you probably know three of them, right? So you didn't know that, but you do. So here we go. Notice in the text, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Fear is the word phobia. How many of you know what phobia means? Somebody just shout out what you're afraid of. Spiders. Okay, spiders probably the number one answer. What is that? Acrophobia? Uh, I don't know what it is. Okay. These guys have angel phobia. Okay. The angels all of a sudden are there and they are scared to death. 
angelphobia. Fear not, the angels say, for behold, I bring you great good news of great joy. Great, great is the word megalon. You can just hear it, right? Uh, a, a mega meal, a m- mega church, a mega shark. Like you can put any mega in front of anything. It's just supersized. You have great joy. And this is the good news. And good news is the word euangelium is my. It's the word we get evangelism from. It's news that is to be told. And for just a moment, this thought dawned on me. Like I woke up with this thought this morning. It is that new, which means it's either a really cool thought or a heresy. But here it is, okay? Why did God not send the angels to just do the spreading of the good news? That would have been a lot better than shepherds. Like, the, the angels were authoritative, like the shepherds were frightened to death. What if God had just sent the angel to uh, King Herod? What if he'd sent the angels to all of Bethlehem? What if he'd sent the angels to all of Jerusalem? Why didn't the angels just sing it out? Okay. Because God, from the very start, wanted people to participate in the sharing of the good news. And I'll be the first to admit, that, that seems like a plan that has some frailty and some faultiness to it. Like how many of you, just by way of reminder, know of a Christian who has failed or walked away from their faith? Can I see your hands? Yeah, like everybody, right? It seems to me that God would have had greater wisdom if he would have used somebody else besides some other means besides people to get the good news out. But that's not his plan. His plan was specifically that we would do the spreading of the good news. You say, well, what is that good news? Well, go back with me to the book of Acts, chapter 1, because it was good news for all people, a Savior, Christ the Lord. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, there, here is the good news, Jesus as the good news. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. So that word suffering occurs some six times in the Gospel of Luke. Five of those times, it is a reference to Jesus and his crucifixion. Here's the clearest of that in Luke chapter 9, verse 22. Jesus said, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and priests and scribes, and be killed on the third day be raised. I'm just telling you, that's about as clear as you can possibly make it, and the disciples still missed it, right? But here it is. Um, Jesus said, I'm going to have to suffer and be killed, and on the third day be raised. It's not the only time he used the word. He used the, time, he used the word again in, in Luke chapter 22. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus is the good news because he came perfectly, lived without sin, died in our place so that when you and I place our faith in him, we can be promised eternity forever with him. That's the good news. It's all about Jesus. It's not about anything we want to try to do. It's not about anything we're attempting to do. Um, there's a verse in that, in that song we just sung, Jason. Uh, no scheme of hell, no, no power of hell, no scheme of man shall ever pluck me from his hand. Uh, every time I sing that, I'm reminded of a time years ago when the church was being challenged and um, I was visiting my mom and dad and I had cousins who were missionaries from Japan, and, and they were singing, and their son was with them, and he played the mandolin, and so my, my uh, 
cousin is playing the piano, and we're singing Christ Alone. And I had shared with them some of the challenges that we were facing here. And he kept going back, and he kept repeating that. No, power of hell, no scheme of man. He just kept singing over and over again. He'd say, let's sing it again. Let's sing it again. Let's sing it again. It was like four times we had to sing that chorus before we'd break out of it. And it's this great reminder that it's not about us. Nothing can separate us from the God who was so powerful that he sent his son to suffer, to be killed, and on the third day be raised. Here's the thing. We're forgetful people, right? We can't remember names. We can't remember a phone number. We're just forgetful people. And so Jesus instituted something else for us. And notice the word, I suffer. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I want you just to take, if you would, those elements out of the pew in front of you. Because I want to remind you that we do this not for anything special. any kind of special power we would imbibe, right? But we do this because we're forgetful. We pause and have to remember precisely how it is that Christ suffered. I can remember even as a child um, when our pastor was explaining communion and we used to have, back then we used to have these little square pieces of Wonder Bread, okay? And so there I was. I'm sure they didn't have Wonder Bread in the upper room, okay? But that's what we had in uh, Midwestern Indiana. And I remember looking at that, just imagining how Christ suffered for me and how easily it is that I forget that. You do understand, don't you, that, that it is his suffering that was meant to provide for us a motivation that we wouldn't just engage in the old sins we used to do. That's why the scripture says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man commits, he commits outside of his body. But he that commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. What? Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom is in you, whom you have from God? For you were bought with a price. This is the good news. You and I would pause and remember what it is Christ did. Just open up and pull that little wafer out if you could. And for a moment, remember that you and I are caused, challenged to remember that Jesus said, I want you to remember what I'm going through. And so he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember Jesus with me. And likewise, the text says, that the cup, after he had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, remember me. Let's do this and remember him again together. Forgiveness. So vital. Such an important part of the good news. Can I show you something in the text you may have never noticed before when you took communion? That Jesus, when he brought about that particular element, um, and, uh, and Luke recounts this. Luke recounts that it just wasn't all the good disciples that were at the table. Look at the end of verse 21. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me 
is with me on the table. Forgiveness is such a vital element that Jesus stood ready to forgive Judas, who was about to betray him, if only Judas would have repented. It's this great reminder that, it's, that this is the good news. Jesus is the good news. Now, here's the second part. We were left behind with a very powerful helper. We were left behind with a very clear message. Jesus is the good news. That's it. That's it. That's the message we're to give. But we were left behind with a very powerful helper. Notice Acts 1.8 captures that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The word there, power, is the word dunamis. Um, you, uh, you can hear, imagine something of great power. You can hear the idea of uh, it's, it's, dynamite was created later, but the creator of dynamite called the dynamite because he used this Greek word dunamis or power, okay? Uh, and I don't know if you've, any of you have ever experienced that. Um, I like to tell the story that when I was in, when I was in elementary school, this is a long time ago, before OSHA and stuff regulated things like dynamite, okay? Uh, where I grew up in Midwestern Indi- in, in, in northeastern Indiana, we had a river in front of us that had been, um, that had been flooded for a water reservoir for Fort Wayne, Indiana. And, and so there was always a water path there, but they had a dam at the end of that, and so they dammed that up so that they could create a water reservoir, and it became this really cool place to ski, except when they flooded it, they just flooded it, and the trees that were there died, and then the trees died, but the stumps were there, and so everybody that wanted to water ski on the St. Joseph River always had to dodge the stumps, and it's a problem, right? So one year when they were, were going to fix the dam, they let all the water out, and so you could just see this muddy area for, three, for 30 days where there were stumps. And so somebody got the right, wise idea that, hey, listen, if we just blew these stumps out of the water, out of the mud, they would just float down over the dam, and then we could ski in this area. Okay? And so uh, um, Whitey Heller showed up one day and opened up the back of his Cadillac trunk that was like, the Cadillac was like 40 feet long, okay? And in there was a case of dynamite. And he showed us how to use it, and he passed it out, are you ready for this, as the coolest father-son event ever. (laughs) And there I was with my dad. Stick of dynamite, sticking the cap in, sticking the fuse in. No electric stuff for us, man. We were just lighting that stuff and letting it go, okay? And I just remember all afternoon, it was like kaboom, kaboom. Stumps are flying up in the air, huge gaping holes. The fact that nobody died in this thing is a miracle. Okay. It was the greatest expression of physical power I've ever seen. Right? You light a fuse and it just blows stuff up. Right? Now, here's the thing. That's not what the Holy Spirit does, but that's the kind of power, something that is bigger than us, Bigger than a 12-year-old lighting dynamite. Okay. This is what was granted us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And there's two ways this power is impactful. The first one is this. The Spirit empowers the giver, and the Spirit enables the receiver of the good news. Now, this is really important. When you and I are sharing the good news, we're not doing it in our own strength. We're not doing it in our own ability. The Spirit is empowering that. That's why Jesus said, listen, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The Spirit empowers the giver. He does that in a number of ways. 
He, he does that by when we come to faith in Christ, granting us certain gifts. Uh, you can look at the 12s and the 4s for that. Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. You'll find listing of spiritual gifts that, that the Spirit himself has empowered you to do some of those things. So you're not allowed to say, I don't have the ability. Right. Phil, I, I get nervous. I'm shy. I'm afraid. No, no, no. The Spirit has empowered you. You say, well, I don't know how to do it. I don't even know how to pray. The Spirit in Romans 8 has empowered us. He actually works our prayers when we do not know how to pray, the Scripture says. The Spirit does that work for us. The Spirit empowers us as we walk in the Spirit. We will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, Galatians. As we are filled with the Spirit, um, Ephesians chapter 4, the Spirit of God is empowering you as the giver of the good news. It's really important. In fact, Jesus said that he would, the Spirit, would bring certain things to mind. So you can't say, I don't have the power. I don't have the ability. I don't know how to do it, right? The Spirit is empowering you as the giver. But there's something just as important. The Spirit enables the receiver of the good news. So when you're thinking in terms of your responsibility, since we're left behind here, of your responsibility sharing the good news with someone, you can't say, well, they'll never believe because, you know, they... They're so far gone, they never believe in Jesus. I'll just tell you, everybody is so far gone, they'll never believe in Jesus, unless the Spirit enables them. And that's exactly what the book of Titus says. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration. And just say the phrase with me, there it is. What does it say? The renewal of the Holy Spirit. When you share the gospel, the good news about Jesus, with someone, which is why you were left behind and why you just didn't go to heaven when you trusted Christ. You were left behind because just like the shepherd, you and I are responsible for sharing the good news. When you and I were left behind to do that, when we share, the Spirit has empowered us and the Spirit also is enabling the person to receive the message so important to understand. It doesn't rest on us. It's not dependent upon us getting it right. It's not dependent upon us convincing the person. It's dependent upon us sharing the gospel right with clarity. But it's not dependent upon us, it's not dependent upon us convincing the other person. Years ago, I um, was at a Bible college and, and uh our kids are going up there to snow camp shortly, but the students at that Bible college would be responsible for sharing the gospel, right? And I've always remembered this. It was one of those cool moments in my life where something dawned on me that I otherwise didn't know. Uh, they gave an invitation at the end of the service, and certain people and, and, and some of the campers, the high school kids, came forward, and, and someone introduced me to this guy who needed to trust Christ, and I sat with him, and I was about to share with him, and I started to share with him the gospel. I'm not making this up. And this kid jumped up and ran right out of the room. Okay. And I remember thinking, okay, I don't know what happened there. I tried to think, what did I say? What did I do? Um, a little later that night, about 1 o'clock in the morning, as I was walking through the campus, because it was, everybody was up late doing stuff in the snow, all of a sudden I see this kid walking toward me with his friends, and he starts running towards me, and he's saying to his friends, this is the guy, this is the guy, this is the guy, like, and I was looking for a place to hide, okay, like, what just happened? And he said, this is the guy that saved me, right? And I said to him, uh, I think I'm the guy that lost you, right? 
And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. When I left the room, things you said dawned on me, and I trusted Christ. I remember thinking, like, if I only saw this from my perspective, I'd think that I messed it up. But the sharing of the gospel, powered by the Holy Spirit, is what allows someone to come to Christ, even though they may not do it right there with you. This is such an important reminder. You share the gospel with your friends, with your family, and you wonder if they're going to respond and they don't respond or they're negative and you say, oh, that's it, I messed it up. No, 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 you didn't. Share the gospel with clarity and let the Spirit of God do the work that he's supposed to do because the Spirit of God empowers you and the Spirit of God enables them, which is why Acts 1 says we're left behind and waiting on the power of the Spirit. There's one final one. We were left behind with a very strategic task to share the good news. That's it. A very strategic task to share the good news. And here you thought all along, Fellowship Bible Church was about you coming here to find programs and things that minister to you and your family. Hey, we're glad we, we're glad we can do that, but that's not why you're here. Why you're here is that you and I would come to grips with the three greatest realizations that we have a clear message, that we have a powerful helper, and we have a very strategic task. And here's the task, Acts 1.8. You should be my witnesses, Luke says, that Jesus said, in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. You see, Phil, I've never even been to Israel. I don't even know where, I've seen pictures of Jerusalem. I don't know what Judea is, and I'm not sure where Samaria is, and I'm not sure what the end of the earth means. Okay? Well, for just a moment, imagine that this message was given to them when they were standing in Jerusalem, okay? uh, Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, they knew where Judea was because it was that area that was south. Jerusalem's in the northern portion of Judea. Um, they knew where Samaria was because they didn't like to go up there because those were the guys they didn't get along with. And that was just north of Jerusalem. And to the end, the ends of the earth was some place that somebody else had visited at one stage. They didn't have the internet. They hadn't seen pictures. They just heard stories about this place. So it was places out there somewhere. And that same thing works for us today. In, in the pew in front of you, and if you just want to pull it out, I want you to do that now. You're going to find this little prayer card that says, pray 1-8 while you wait. Okay? Pray 1-8 while you wait. I want you to pull this out. Because this defines for us how Acts 1-8 works and the very strategic plan that God gave us. Now, I'm going to call Jerusalem this. Jerusalem is where they were. They needed some stirring up. They didn't really want to leave Jerusalem. They kind of stayed there. They stayed where it was comfortable for them until Acts 8, 1, where all of a sudden persecution comes and it kind of drives them out of Jerusalem. But Acts 1, 8, they knew where it was comfortable. I'm going to call that uh, those I know. So here's how I want you to think about that. This passage, this very strategic plan goes like this. Those I know, those I don't know, those who aren't like me, and those who are far from me. I'm to share the good news with those I know, those I don't know, those who aren't like me, and those who are far from me. This is the message I'm supposed to share. I'm supposed to be Jesus to those I know, those I don't know, those who aren't like me, and those who are far from me. And I want to show you that in the gospel, in in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So imagine momentarily, uh, Acts 1, 8 is those I know. So let me see. I got to get a family, somebody I know. Okay, John, you're close by, so stand up for me real quick, okay? Um, this is John, and this is his Jerusalem, okay? Uh, by the way, stand up for me, Rich, real quick. This is Rich, and this is his Jerusalem, okay? This is Bob. Stand up for me, Bob. 
And this is his Jerusalem, the people around him. Because you guys almost always sit in these same pews every single Sunday. Right? Like, we're going to need some persecution to move you out of here. All right? Here's what I want you to see. This is where they're comfortable. John, how many people you know just around you here? You know this pew? This pew? You better know this pew. This is your family, okay? Okay? Just helping you out, okay? These are your family and friends. These are the people you know. You guys can sit down. Right? But you can't sit down, John. Okay, come here, come here. Because John's going to go on a missions journey, okay? This is John. This is his Jerusalem. These are his friends and family. These are the people he knows. Here's what I want you to think about. Um, are you consistently praying for your friends and family that don't know the gospel? Consistently. Like somewhere, do you have a prayer list for them? Do you have their names down someplace? Are you looking for opportunities to share the gospel with them? Okay, this, by the way, this is why you were left behind. Right? You were left behind so that you could share the gospel with your friends and family who don't know Jesus. This is your Jerusalem. This is where you're comfortable. Those I know, people in my community that I know, my, by name, literally, my friends and family. Now, Judea was what a Jewish person, like John here, would be comfortable with. He'd have been comfortable with Judea. So we're going to call Judea, those I don't know, people in my community I've yet to meet. They're just people I haven't met yet. But, but I'm comfortable with them because they're kind of like me. Okay? Now, I've got to have some Samaritans here. I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Nick, you're a Samaritan, right? Stand up for me real quick, okay? This is perfect, okay? Because where did you grow up, John? Washington Township. That's really Jerusalem, okay? You're right there. You haven't made it out of Jerusalem yet. Okay, where did you grow up, Nick? Georgia. Georgia, that's exactly right. Just say it like you say it down there. Georgia. Georgia, there you go, okay. He is different than John, right? Okay. This is Samaria. This is someone who is someone that's not like me. People or groups outside of my cultural comfort zone. When it's great that you came up here, Nick, out of Georgia, all right? Um, but it's not like George, is it? No, it's not. Okay. So now I have two guys, one from New Jersey who never made it out of Washington Township and another one from Georgia who eats grits and talks funny. Okay. Now, come here real quick. Come here real quick. What God is wanting John to do is to start to engage with someone who is not like him for the purpose of sharing the gospel. This is really important. I'll just say it you got to get out of your Washington Township. Whatever you're used to, and you say, these are my people. This is who I'm comfortable with. If you came to fellowship because you came to this church and said, here, I'm comfortable. These are people like I wasn't so comfortable before, but I'm starting to find people who are like me. That's not what you're supposed to be doing here. You and I are supposed to be engaging first with the people we know, then the people we haven't met yet, and then even the people who aren't like us. It's funny because we can talk about Georgia, you can go sit down, brother. But, but it's not funny when we think of other groups that we're uncomfortable with. Those two are people who are supposed to, we were left behind to share the gospel with them. We're not done yet, John. Okay? We got to get you to the ends of the earth. Okay? Which is, and I want you to think about this. The ends of the earth are people, groups, and nations outside of my culture, language, and geographical reach. We are way outside of Washington Township now. We're with people who don't speak my language. We're with people who 
who I, I, I can't communicate to them. I don't understand their cultural differences. I know nothing about them. You can sit down now, John. That's great. I want you to see that this is the strategic plan. This is it. This is why you were left behind. This is how the Christian is supposed to live. Every day it's supposed to be those I know, those I don't know, those who aren't like me, and those who are far from me. And my hope would be that by the time we end this study in Acts, you may not be one who goes to the farthest reaches of the earth, but you know certain people in the farthest reaches of the earth because you've been praying for people groups and languages that you don't speak and that you don't know. And my hope would be that you would start to think in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, you would start to think that, well, I'm, I recognize I'm a little uncomfortable getting to know these other groups, but I need to get to know them because that's why I was left behind. And, and you do understand, don't you, that some of those people groups are right here. They're as close as Washington Township or Cherry Hill. I had an occasion several months ago through an acquaintance. <clears throat> um, one of my books had been translated into Hindi and Bengali, and so I was able to give to an Indian man one of the books, and he was also excited about it because there it was, you know, how to not be anxious in Hindi and Bengali. And I can't read any of it, but I n- know that that's what it says, right? And all of a sudden, out of the blue, this guy invites me to one of his celebrations. I don't have a clue what I'm doing, okay? I'm just in there figuring out, like, everybody takes their shoes off as we walk in here, right? So that's what I better do, right? The food's different. Everything's different, right? The dress is different. It is very clear that I was... I didn't grow up in the Indian world in that heritage. I was just standing there like me with my shoes off, right? And yet I was reminded that the essence is that these are still men and women created in the image of God. Why am I afraid of or awkward with something I don't know? I, I should come in asking questions. I should come, and I did. I just came in and said, so what am I eating here? Okay, okay, that's good. Why does this taste like that? Oh, your friend never eats this. Well, you should have told me that before I ate it, right? Okay, like I, I don't know what I'm doing even. But here's the point. These are people in groups and nations outside of my culture, outside of my language, and in some cases outside of my geographical reach. But here's the thing. That's why God left you behind. That's why he left you behind. Our goal is not just to find where we're comfortable, where we're settled, where we're secure. Our goal is to say this is a message that is supposed to go out And I'm going to start with my friends. I'm going to move to the community, the people I haven't met yet. I'm going to meet people. I'm going to I'm going to start. I'm actually going to engage with people that aren't like me. They're outside of my cultural comfort zone. And at some stage, I want to know what's going on in the rest of the world. Now, we even made that easier for you today. You got that card? Just look at the bottom. Scan to discover and pray for the least reached people groups. When you scan that, it's going to open up something called the Joshua Project, which is this wonderful way to pray for people in another part of the world. It's going to introduce you to some of them, let you know how few of them actually know Christ. And I'm just going to tell you in advance, when you read some of that, it's going to break your heart for people who don't know Christ. That's part of what we're supposed to do because we were left behind.
I was studying through Acts chapter 1 and I came upon this end in verse 14 that Jesus said, listen, you got to wait until the Holy Spirit comes. But he gave them something to do in the meantime. Look at Acts 1 verse 14. And these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. By the way, it's so fascinating that Jesus has just died, been resurrected, and now his brothers that denied him and ran from him in the earlier gospels are suddenly in the upper room saying, hey, he's for real, okay? Jesus is for real. And, and so this is what they did while they waited. And it caused me to say, pray 1-8 while you wait. Like, don't just say, okay, I'll do that someday. Start to pray now. So pull this card out. If you, if you, person next to you pulled it out, we got enough for everybody to grab. I want you to pull it out. I want you to pull one of the pens out that's in front of it too, okay? Like, get something to write with. Because maybe you've never done this or maybe you have done this. People in my community, and I mean by your community, your closest circle of friends and family, I want you to write down some names there of people who you should be praying for who are without Christ, and maybe you tried to share it before, it didn't work too well. Maybe God's convicted you to share, you haven't done it yet. But right now, you can just pray for them, right? You can pray that God would open them up. You can be devoted to prayer. So just take a moment and write down. I'll, t- I'll stop talking and give you 60 seconds to write down names of people that you know by name who need to know Jesus. The second part of that is those I don't know, people in my community I've yet to meet. And we're starting to move out of the comfort zone now, right? These aren't the people we always have over for dinner or hang out with all the time, but maybe there's somebody you need to meet. Maybe there's someone you need to listen to better at work to hear what they are really struggling with. Maybe you can just tell them you're praying for them. These are people I don't know. So maybe say, oh, that person who I need to meet, maybe I should share the gospel with them. Uh, you might not even know their name or there may be a people or a group that you're saying, okay, that's somebody I should maybe show interest in. These are, these are your people in Judea, okay? That's the next level out. Those who aren't like me, people or groups outside of my cultural comfort zone, um, you may not have names or people groups there yet, but I want you to start thinking that way. And for now, just start to pray. If you don't have a people group that's outside of your cultural comfort zone, you're a little awkward when you're with that particular group of people, I want you to start thinking about how you can pray for those. By the way, real quick point of clarification, that was Samaria. Samaria was a people group that had been infused into the nation of Israel. Um, And they don't really show up until the book of Nehemiah. But when the exodus took place and they pulled all of those Israelites out and sent them, scattered the tribes and and put them over in in modern-day Iraq for for 70 years, uh, those, those pagan leaders injected other nationalities into their country. So that when the Jews came back 70 years later, there's these people there that they're uncomfortable with. They don't practice religion the way that the Jews did. They don't, they don't speak the language. They don't know the Torah. They don't know things. 
And what happened was some of those individuals started marrying the Jewish kids. And when that happens, all of a sudden, those who are down in Judah say, whoa, those people are not like us at all. And they actually wanted to avoid them, right? They actually despise them. That's not the approach we take with people who aren't like me. We should be taking an approach that says they're outside of my cultural comfort zone, but I need to reach them. Finally, those who are far from me. People, groups, or nations outside of my culture, language, or geographical reach. What if we spent even, a, even an inkling of the time that we span, spend scanning um, are just kind of streaming through our news feeds or celebrity news or are being up to date on contemporary cultural issues? What if we spend even a portion of that time just saying, I got to meet somebody in another part of the world who doesn't have Jesus? So rather than do that, rather than do that, I'm going to scan this QR code and I'm going to spend some time praying for somebody in another part of the world in the Himalayas that I don't even know what that looks like, but I want to pray for them because they're without Jesus. Because these are people who are far from me. The church should be the best educated group of people on the planet of the needs of the rest of the planet. We should be able to win Jeopardy every single time that they talk about other countries because we're praying for them. I once had a friend of mine who served in Korea, and I asked him, how did you guys get in Korea, he and his brother? And he said, when we were in high school, we decided we'd go on our own missions trip, and mom and dad let us. So we took off. Like We got visas. We started to travel together, and we traveled. And he said, one of the places we ended up in was a navigator's office. And in that navigator's office, that's a mission organization. Some of those individuals come here, and we love having them here. In that navigator's office, he said, I walked into the office, and I saw maps on the wall of other parts of the world that I'd never paid attention to before. And I said to the guy in the office, what are these here for? And he said, this is how we pray every morning for these countries, for these parts of the world. The Christian should be the most knowledgeable individual of the needs of the rest of the world because they fill his prayer list. Because we're not just thinking about our comfort zone, we're thinking outside of our comfort zone and we're thinking about people who don't speak our language, who don't know our culture and who we've never traveled to their part of the world but we're praying for them now. That's how I want you to think about this year. Hey, we're going to do that right now. I'm going to ask my brother from Washington Township, John, come on up here if you could. One of our elders here, and John's going to kind of close this time in prayer, but I want to lead you in this time of prayer. Right where you are, can you just, um, let's take those first three elements and just bow your head with me. And just quietly there, pray right now. Call out to God for some of the names you wrote down on the card. Just speak to God about them. Don't be afraid to be bold in asking that the Holy Spirit would enable them when they hear the gospel to believe. Maybe even ask God right now that this week you might become aware of one of their needs or hurts. Maybe they might even call you 
and ask you what to do with the problem and pray that you would be bold in sharing the gospel with them. Just take a moment and do that. Take a moment and pray for those in your community, maybe even in your neighborhood, who need to know Christ and pray that you might look for ways and opportunities to share with them. Even just to meet them, to interact with them. Maybe if you're a student, it's somebody in the lunchroom who doesn't necessarily sit with a bunch of friends but always seems to sit alone. Maybe you might pray now how you might meet them as a means of just being a good friend to them and ultimately seeking to share the good news of Jesus with them. Take a moment and pray for those who are outside of your cultural Comfort zone. Finally, pick a country far away. Africa, South America, one of those countries in an area where people need to hear the gospel and some don't even have it yet in their language. Take a moment and pray for a part of the world that you don't know yet. And let the Lord know you want to know more about it. And take a moment and close this in prayer, if you would. Lord Jesus, thank you for the clear message you've given to us. God, we praise you for the hope that we find in your truth, the gospel. God, may we trust in your power to do a great work in us to bring about your truth being shared with others. God, thank you for involving us in that. Thank you that you care enough for us to involve you in that, that us of forgetful people, you bring us to remembrance, to the awareness of your gospel on a regular basis, Lord, that we might share that with others. God, I pray that's what we would do. God, as we go out, I pray that your work would be done in the lives of others. God, that you draw that truth out in us, that we would share it clearly, Lord. Not add to it. Just share clearly, Lord, your truth. You've given it to us. Thank you for your gospel. God, we pray for a mighty work to be done. God, please involve us in that. God, may we be found faithful to share your truth with others. We'll rejoice in it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.